Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Monday, February the 7th, 2022. This is episode 3032 of the Survival Podcast, and it is going to be an Outback with Jack episode covering a wide variety of topics. We're going to talk about social media wars and the lessons we need to learn when it comes to using social media to organize things like the Canadian Truckers' Rebellion and the coming one to the United States. I'm going to go over some things, just blow you away with how much has happened in the last few days as far as people being banned and censorship being called for increase by government. We're going to talk about the honking. We're going to talk about Biden saying he never supported um, lockdowns. Talk about some stuff with Bitcoin. We're going to talk about the fact that we're getting into zero hour for getting your plants started for the spring. And we're going to talk about some backyard protein production. And we'll be doing a lot of audience Q&A. I think I did 20 Q&As at the end of this stream. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox.com. I love ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the sponsor I have that has never paid me in money. No, they pay me in meat. I get a box of meat every month uh, equal to the value of my sponsorship. So I do barter with ButcherBox. That tells you how much I love their product. Uh, grass-fed meat, pastured poultry, pastured pork, some really good seafood items as well. Always coming up with new specials and things. Uh, recently, I got to buy in uh, one-time purchase and get skirt steak for the rest of my life as a ButcherBox customer. They're just awesome. Check them out at ButcherBox.com. Remember, MSB members, you get $10 off every single box. If you do 12 boxes a year, that's $120 a year in discounts just by being an MSB member for 50 bucks a year. So think about that, too, if you want to sign up with ButcherBox because it'll pay for for it out of the gate up front. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Hey guys, um, I say this all the time, but only because it's true and I think it's interesting, honestly. It's the only magazine I've been subscribed to, like my entire adult life. I found them in 1993 when I got out of the Army. By 1994, I had a decent kind of first job and I became a subscriber. And I've been a subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine for, God, what is it now, 22 years? Something like that? Was it 18, 18? I don't know, 30 years. For, forever, man, right? I mean, so, like, if I've stuck around as a subscriber that long, it tells you something about the publication. Check them out today at backwoodshome.com. With that, let's jump on into the live stream and uh, get into these deep topics today. And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to Outback with Jack for Monday, February the 7th, episode 3032 of the Survival Podcast. And we have got a great lineup for you guys today on the live feed. We're going to talk about, again, because life is a teacher and some people seem to be slow learners, why we have to stop using the systems that the people in power control to fight the people in power, at least not exclusively. I'm going to give you, oh, five examples of major fuckery that went along, went, that happened in the last few days. I mean, going back to like Thursday last week to this, to Monday today. Uh, with social media and people being shut down and calls for more censorship and things like that. And how it hurts what we're trying to do if we fall into that trap. I'm going to talk about something uh, Joe Biden said through a proxy, through uh, Deadhead Red, that's Jen Paskey for those that don't get the reference, uh, that he never supported lockdowns. I have some questions for our president in regard to that. Um, I'm going to talk about how the honking has gone from a small fringe minority to making Ottawa's mayor cry 
national emergency also fa awful fast. You know, this es that escalated quickly type thing. We're going to talk a little bit about if you're going to organize a massive protest like what the truckers are doing, what you should and what you shouldn't do. Because if you're going to have a protest, you need to know what the hell your goals are. We're going to talk about a new normal. Now, you know how I feel about new normals when it comes to things like how you're going to live because some bureaucrat somewhere or some politician somewhere decided that's the way it's going to be or what the World Economic Forum says or whatever. You can have, you can have that, right? You can have the middle finger. I'm not doing it, right? But we're going to talk about a new normal for Bitcoin. There, there are things that move into actual new normals by phases, and Bitcoin is doing that right now in a big way. Um, I'll give you the top three trends emerging, I think, this year for Bitcoin. It's all stuff that's been happening, but it's really emerging now as being very commonplace, and I think it's part of that transition. And then we're again, we're going to talk about some stuff for the backyard, too, as we wrap up today. We're going to talk about the fact that we are getting close to zero hour for starting your seeds for your garden. Uh, for me, I really need to get on this and get it started this weekend. And I get one weekend before the Anarchopocal Watch Party. And a oh, big update on that. You guys that are coming to the Anarcho Watch Party, we now have gotten close enough to it that the extended forecast goes all the way out to the Anarchopocal Watch Party. And guess what? We're looking at 60s for highs and 40s for lows. That could change. But if we're forecasting that right now, you know what we're not going to get? Big old ice event like we just had. So we're going to have good weather for what we're going to be doing. It'll be great. For those of you that have been watching that closely like I have, that was my one concern about it. And then I've got for you, yes, my top five, my top five picks for backyard poultry uh, production, backyard protein production, and an honorable mention number six. And I'll tell you why I feel that way about these things, because I'm going to keep pushing you guys toward backyard protein production. Producing your own fats and protein in the backyard is going to be something that's going to become more, not less important as we go forward. So I'm going to talk about it more, not less. So that's what we got coming today. If you have any comments or questions for me during this stream, assuming you're on the live stream right now, not watching the archive, because that doesn't work, um, just make sure you put them in all caps. If you put them in all caps, as I'm going through, I don't even have to read them. I can just star them, and that way when I get to the end, I can go back through and comment on the things you guys want me to comment on. Please try to avoid word salad comments where I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, let me know. And if you even get the first three or four, some of you guys are on a mobile device, and you got to like capitalize every letter. If you get the first two or three words, all caps, I'll see it and I'll mark it and know that I'm supposed to talk to you uh, later on in the broadcast. So I think that gives people time to get on. We have a pretty good show up. Um, we're going to ironically lead off talking about censorship, and you'll get to hear why we're reaching a few less people today when we when we do that right now. So what I want to do. I want to start out with a simple message that I've been trying to get across to people. If you want to use the reach that Facebook has to organize anything, I don't care if it's a business page, I don't care if it's a protest, I don't care what it is, or you want to do it on Twitter or Reddit or any of these platforms like that that maybe you have a big reach already on, you can't rely on it. You can use it, But you can't rely on it. I, I really kind of like the idea of I really kind of like the idea of using their own system against them wherever we can. That's status jujitsu. That's something I have worked very hard to become a true martial arts master of is status jujitsu. But you have to remember when you're when your enemy, and these people are our enemies, has the ability to pull the plug 
when you become successful enough, they're going to pull the plug. And people ask me all the time when I talk like this, what are you doing on YouTube? Because they haven't pulled the plug completely on me yet. Trust me, I've been to YouTube prison three times now. Um, I had my record expunged after going, getting it up to two strikes, and, and I you know, got another one, and I got kicked out. I, um, I got kicked off of Facebook uh, this weekend. It looks like somehow I'm able to stream there, but I can't post, so that's interesting to me. Um, anyway, yeah, so I am on all these other alternative platforms, and you need to be doing this. So if you are organizing something that you know is going to get hit, like the Truckers' Rebellion Facebook page and being taken down, right? Then you need to rate from the beginning, have like a sticky post, and then remind people like every other day, hey, we're also on, I don't care, MeWe, Gab, whatever, some platform that won't take you down. And start pushing people constantly and just tell them flat out, they are going to shut this down. We know they're going to do it. We're only doing this to reach you. Please get on our other page before they take us down. You want an example? You want to see why? Well, let's look at what's happened in the past couple days. So, and this is just this is not all related to the truckers. This is just major actions to censor and silent voices across the board by big tech in the last five days. So, Twitter suspended the main account and multiple staff accounts for an education website that highlights the dangers of CRT, critical race theory. So what they said is, if you're critical of critical race theory, obviously you're a racist. This is asinine. It doesn't make any sense. It's a clown world position to take, but they've done it. And here's the thing. I don't want, I actually think a lot of the, com the components of CRT are racist in the way that they're presented because they, they separate people into race and then, They say that one person is responsible for the ills of another simply due to the color of their skin. I actually find that to meet the textbook definition of racism. But you know what? I don't want the people discussing CRT silenced. I don't want their voices quelled. I don't want them shut down, even though I think what they're saying is racist. Because I don't think that most of them are doing it to be racist. And I would like to have dialogue and discussion Because you might find out that as bad as critical race theory is as it's being used in our school systems today, if you actually examine the core tenets of it, some of the structural things that were done, like making it impossible for black people to get mortgages in the neighborhoods that they could afford to live in, are actually valid. So we can't have that discussion if we shut down the other side. But we can't have that discussion if they shut down the, the, the side that is pushing back against it. So this is what Twitter did. What's up next? Facebook... Now says, get this, using the word honk violates its community standards. Not only did they shut down the, the Canadian truckers page and the U.S. truckers page, and I think the Canadian truckers page had something like 900,000 members when they shut it down. Now if you put the word honk, God bless us when we do a goose podcast, I guess, right, and we all sign off with honk, it violates community standards. Honk, I, I guarantee you, honk is going to become the new code word for racism and extremism. If you say honk, you are a racist and extremist, just like they have tried to convince people, and they have sadly done so successfully, that the OK sign, which we've all used our whole lives, is for white power. Somebody will probably screenshot me showing OK without me saying OK and put it out and say, Jack Spirico is a racist, racist white supremacist. Here's Jack espousing white supremacism with a special symbol that no one knows. And leave out the part how it was started by trolls on fucking 8chan. 
right? And leave out what I'm actually saying in the context I'm saying it. But here you go. You can't say honk on Facebook. GoFundMe completely screwed over the truckers. People put up money to support the truckers, and GoFundMe took it down. This is their tweet. This is interesting what happened here. These bastards should be prosecuted if there's any way. I think it's going to be a tough case to make, but there's several attorneys generals across the United States looking into it because attempting to steal money is a crime, even if you don't successfully do it. So what happened is GoFundMe was reached out to by the city of Ottawa and the Canadian government and said, hey, we don't want this supporting these guys. So GoFundMe pulled the plug after millions of dollars had been pledged to support the truckers. That's bad. But here's what's worse. They, they, when they did it, they said, if you want a refund, ask for it. And if you don't ask for it, by a certain time, you're not going to get it. That's what they did. Now that's, and what does that mean? That means if you don't get it, they'll decide who gets it. Like maybe the police department of Ottawa or something like that. Exactly what you didn't want to support. So then, and I, you gotta love social media. And you gotta love the fact that one idea that's brilliant will spread so fast. So what started spreading, especially on all the alternative social media sites like Gab, like MeWe, is, hey, don't ask for a refund. File a chargeback through your credit card company. So to give you your 50 bucks back, it's gonna cost them 75. So people started doing that. So then GoFundMe comes up with this. To simplify the process for our users, we will be refunding all donations. So first you tried to steal the money. You tried to extort the money through a loophole. Then you got caught. Then you got financially burned. And now, oh, we're just going to blanket refund everybody. right? Why are we using GoFundMe? Why are we using Facebook? Why are we using Twitter to do these things at all? Especially raising money. So Give, Send, Go is doing this now. I don't really know how reliable they are. But I think if you're going to do fundraising for something like this, You should look, and if the place you're thinking about doing it has done this to anybody, you should assume they will do it to you. And I want you to notice a pattern here. Facebook doesn't get somebody setting up a Canadian truckers page, gets a couple thousand members and shuts it down. They wait till it builds massive momentum to deflate it. It's like you blow the tire all the way up and then they poke a hole in it because you feel more defeated and it does more damage. And that's what they're doing here. Next up, Facebook cancels the U.S. truckers convoy page. It was up to hundreds, 139,000 followers. Now it's time to, now we'll let the air out of the tire. Right? So why are we organizing on Facebook? And I know these people did not set up an alternative and push people to it from the beginning. You've got to do it. Has Facebook done this before? Yes. Then you should assume they're going to do it again. How about this? The government demands to remove Twitter content hitting record high. What does that mean? That means Calls from the government to Twitter saying, hey, we want this content taking down. Is that a record high? You know how many requests there should be by the government to a private company, if it was actually private, to remove anything? Zero. The, you, the United States government has no right whatsoever to work in combination with a private entity to censor people. This is unconstitutional as hell. You know what that's going to get you, though? $5 plus the fact that it's unconstitutional, if you go down to Washington, D.C., where the Supreme Court is and talk about it, you can go to Starbucks and buy a shitty coffee. That's all you're going to get. So why use Twitter for these things? Again, one more. Calls for Facebook to take stronger action on COVID-19 misinformation as anti-vax leaders are banned. Okay, there's a bunch of shit wrong with this word salad. Okay, first of all, 
When someone says, I don't want this particular vaccine for these particular reasons, that person's not anti-vax. That person has made an informed medical decision to not undergo a medical treatment. Most people out there saying, I don't want this particular injection, if you say, are you vaccinated against smallpox? They're like, yep. And, and if they had, if there was an illness that they felt the risk of the illness outweighed the risk of the vaccine, not all, but most of those same people would get the vaccination. This is people making, so they're not anti-vax. But how much more action, how much more action do we need Facebook to take? Why are we trusting these people? This, this again, you've got to kind of take a different approach here. And again, if you want to use their systems, and you have to do it this way, you have to look at it right from the gate. If it is a big tech company that has not absolutely pledged to support your rights, you must assume you're using a platform controlled, monitored, and, and even controlled to the point of able to pull the plug on you that is run by government. So again, it doesn't mean you can't necessarily use it. What it means is you have to assume that you're going to eventually have it pulled out from under you. And if you don't do that, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt because it's going to happen, and they're going to be strategic, and they're going to absolutely wait until the time is best to yank the rug. You notice how they took down Parler back in the day. They didn't take down Parler as soon as Parler got successful. When Parler really got momentum, then... That's when they struck. And they struck, I mean, really there should be an antitrust lawsuit here. When you have Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, Twitter collaborating together to take down a competitor, that's as antitrust as it gets. But you know what's going to happen. And that's why I love, for instance, what floats to me. Floats basically like, we're not even building apps. We don't want anything to do with apps. We're not going to be in the app store. Because we know they're going to pull the rug out from under us. So it's better that we just build what we have without an app. That way, you can't get into this situation. Google and Apple conspire through antitrust to take down the app, and they do. And all your users who have been accustomed to using the app tend to go away and not come back. But if you train your users from the beginning, hey, you're going to have to use a browser-based tech to use our platform, then you build that. Um, and it does look like I might be breaking up a little bit, guys. I apologize for that. Um, it may be that we have this other window open here. So I'm going to stop sharing screens for this one, and we're going to go without it. I'll just tell you that all, and hopefully that'll make it better. Yeah, that's what it was, and it was having an extra window open. Um, hopefully from here on out, all of the, uh, all of the you, if you need to find the links I'm talking about, you'll be able to go to the audio version and look them up yourself instead of bringing them up. I've been thinking about screenshotting all the pages and put them in a PowerPoint deck. It's one more thing to do, but it would it would smooth that out. I guess, you know, when we're running that many tabs, we, we have problems. And it takes time for them to load if you don't preload them. Anyway, I want to move on to something else. Joe Biden, through Jen Paskey, who's, as far as I'm concerned, when a statement is issued through your press secretary, and you're the president of the United States, it's just like you said it, right? If it's, if, if it's clear, clearly stated in the beginning, I'm speaking on, on, for myself, I don't know, this is my, okay, that'll buy, but when you make a blank, a, a, a straight-up statement, as, your, as a press secretary, on behalf of the president, the president is saying it through you. And what did Paskey say 
when we had this study come out from John Hopkins that conclusively shows that lockdown measures do not prevent the spread of COVID and it has no real impact on anything. What did Paskey say when she was questioned about it? Well, Joe Biden's never been for lockdowns. He's never been for lockdowns. I don't know what you're talking about. We, we, you know, most of that was done at the state level. We've never been for lockdowns. Oh, okay. So you know what that sounds like to me? Well, let's give you the Jack Spirico no bullshit version first, and then we'll talk about you know, what they're trying to do. So the no bullshit version is, as I've said from the very begin, beginning, and if you, it's interesting, right? When Omnicon started out, right? Omnicon, right? Um, if you went to Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or any major website, major news website, almost every story on the front page had something to do with Omicron, Omicron, Om and I am saying con, Omicron, Omicron, the moron, moronic version of uh, variant. For weeks now, you can't find it. There might be a story here or there, but way below the fold, not even on the front page. If you search a news aggregator, you'll find little articles being written, still playing it up, but it's not on the uh, it's not on on the main pages anymore. They're not talking about it. And what I said from the beginning is it's very mild, it's very contagious, it's nature's vaccine. That's where these things always go. So everybody's going to start backing away from their positions, and then they're going to pretend. They never had those positions in the first place. So that's what's happening. What Paskey's trying to do, and it's amazing to see her do anything remotely clever, is technically speak the truth while lying. That's not something that she's usually that good at, but she's kind of sort of technically accurate here. Did all the lockdown measures actually start under the Trump administration? Which she claimed, yes, they did. Are all of the lockdown measures at the power level of the states and cities and counties and communities. In other words, has the federal government implemented any actual lockdowns through their own power? The answer is no. That didn't happen under Trump, and it didn't happen under Biden. Trump said we should do this, and then governors used that as cover fire to implement lockdowns and mask requirements and other mandates. And then since then, many governors have said we're not doing that anymore, and if you have gone completely over the edge, psychotic like New York and California. Um, but she's, she's technically right about that. Has Joe Biden issued any calls since taking office for more lockdowns, not mass mandates or vaccine passports, but actual lockdowns? You have to stay home since he took office. No. But you can't, I don't care. You can't come at this with the position we've never been for lockdowns. Because we're already at a point where the president saying there should be more lockdowns will have nothing of an effect. The federal government doesn't have the power to do this. They have the power to suggest. They have the ability to ex excise some leverage at the executive level across the states, like saying, hey, we're going to hold funds up or something. But they really can't make the governor of Georgia or Virginia or California or Washington do anything. But they can suggest. So here would be my questions. Well, since you're acknowledging, I guess, that these things don't work, Where they're still being employed, have you contacted any of these people, these governors or local officials, and said, hey, you really need to stop doing this? That would be my first question. My second question would be, so what you're saying is you're not for lockdowns. And therefore, locking people down, in, in your own view, then, would be, since it doesn't work, a violation of their human rights. What about all our allies that you're so worried about, Joe? What about all our allies that you're so worried about? Have you contacted the Prime Minister of Australia, one of our closest allies, and said, hey, dude, you're violating the rights of your citizens. Stop doing that. How about Austria? They're a NATO ally. Why, have you contacted Austria? 
and said, hey, you guys are behaving like freaking Nazis. Stop locking your citizens down. Have you talked to any other world leader anywhere if you could stop rambling incoherently for five seconds and said, hey, stop doing this? Because if you haven't, while you watch them do it, and you're saying you know it doesn't work, you're endorsing their decision to do that. Last, how can you say you weren't for lockdowns when you talked about nothing but lockdowns all through 2020 when you were trying to beat Trump and how we should have more lockdowns, more lockdowns, more lockdowns, and you hid in your motherfucking basement, didn't you, Joe? You hid in your basement for almost the entire campaign, And when you went out and did a speech, you got the 25 people you could get together to be there and put circles on the ground and spaced them out 15 feet. But you weren't for lockdowns. Now, what does all this mean in the end? Not a damn thing except, guys, tune up your bullshit detector. And understand, this is the reason I covered this one today is because you need to understand that people can tell you the truth while lying. And they can use the truth to sell a lie. They can use it through lies of omission, or they can make a compelling case that something's true. And here's the reason they do it. If you are opposed to what Joe Biden is doing overall, they know you will never, ever, 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 ever believe that load of bullshit. However, if you are a pro-Biden supporter, they know if they give you any bullshit, you can regurgitate that you will. And that they can go into the social media wars, which is what we're talking about here, and you can re respond and sound somewhat informed by making these claims. Because everybody's making one play in this. And it's important when we're talking about an election. It's important when we're talking about an issue. It's important when we're talking about a protest. And I want you to hold on for it, because we're going to get to how this affects the, the truckers' protest in a minute. You're always making a play for the people that are the undecideds, the mushy middle. There's about 20% of society that actually has not figured out what they 100% believe yet. Because of most of these issues, it's all great to be informed. But once you're informed, most people, about 80%, have either decided that they're going to side with big brother, big government, and complete and total bubbles of protection and providing everything that people need for them from the government, or they want liberty of some form. Now, some people in the people that say they want liberty... They don't want quite as much liberty as like the people at the other extreme. But you're in a block. You're in a 40-40 block with 20% of the people you're playing for. When they spin this bullshit, they are only concerned about that 20%. That 20% decides every election and it pushes every issue. Because it becomes the majority. If you split it evenly, you stay on a dead-even split. If you take 1% more than your opponent out of the mushy middle, you win. Especially in a political election. And we have to start thinking about what we're doing using these, these, these platforms. Like, you know, everything from fundraising platforms to social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit, video platforms like we're on here with ScrewTube right now, we need to think heavily, right, before we use them without redundancies in place. Because two is one, right, and one is none. Three is for me, four is even more, and five keeps you alive. And we need to be running redundancies in the neighborhood of five different options of redundancy and it just makes sense and this is a war and don't think for one minute that it's not a war and, and I hate to quote anything Alex Jones sometimes but uh, it is an information war it is an info war it's whether or not you can get the information out and that's why they're so big on the damn censorship that's what they're looking to accomplish through censorship is to limit the information that our side is permitted to put out and to discuss 
Now, if, if our information was all disinformation, there'd be almost no effort to do that. Have you ever noticed that like the complete bullshit disinformation, for instance, that's on YouTube that you can look up, con artists with pseudoscience telling you that like you can structure water differently or something, and that's going to make you healthy? They don't shut those people down, do they? They don't shut those people down at all. People making nonsensical claims about supplements, as long as it's not related to the coof, right? As long as it's not related to the coof, they can make nonsensical statements. And I, by the way, I think they should be able to. I'm not calling for them to be shut down. I'm, I'm talking about the disproportionate response. The reason they let kooks talk is it gins up arguments, and it, it's good for traffic, but since they're kooks, they are easily objected to. Any reasonable person that looks at a good discussion about kookology versus rational thought is going to end up on the rational thought side. So the, the, the debate can be had because the argument can be made. They don't shut you down because they think you're lying. They shut you down because they're afraid of the truth and they can't respond to the truth. And if they can, let's have the discussion. Let's have the rigorous academic debates. Let's see it happen. I would love... I would absolutely love to see two really informed doctors debate how well the jab works right now for the current situation that we're in on both preventing serious illness, hospitalizations, cases, and spread. I would love to see that debate. I, all, I mean, I would love that debate. Wouldn't you? Would you tune in for it? Right. So the fact that you could have that debate, and if they had, like, if, if MSNBC, CNN, if anybody did that debate, like, it doesn't have to be on YouTube, it could be on national television, it would probably have ratings higher than, oh, I don't know, something that's bombing like the Olympics right now, but it would probably have higher ratings than a Joe Rogan episode, don't you think? Don't you think people would tune in and want to know? So why won't they do it? Because they already know the result before it happens, and they pretend like they don't. I mean, really, if you look at it in total, the way the government's been treating us and the way media's been treating us, and I'm talking to all forms of media right now, is like an abusive boyfriend in a relationship. You can't go outside. You need to cover your face what you do. I need to know what you're saying to your friends, and I'll shut it down if I don't like it. You just go through all of the hallmarks of when some poor woman gets into a relationship with somebody that's just an awful, awful person, and they go total psycho on her. What happens? What happens? It's all the same shit that they're doing to us right now. Next up, I want to talk about the honking. All right, the honking. So apparently they're bringing in a cargo ship's horn. I think it's supposed to get there today. That'll be interesting. I did see a picture of it. I haven't confirmed if that's a real story or not, but it seems like it is. And it takes up like half the bed of a pickup truck. So the honks are fixing to go nuclear up there. Um, but if you remember, it was about 16 days ago. This whole thing started. It's only been six days that they've been in Ottawa laying siege to the city, right? Um, but it's about 16 days ago that people started to at least comment on it. And people started to notice, hey, these guys are serious about this. They're organized. They're getting together. They're going to slow roll across the whole country. It's been about 16 days since the first time Justin Trudeau said, it's nothing but a tiny fringe minority. Well, yesterday, article came out, and apparently the Ottawa mayor is now crying it's a national emergency, it's a national insurrection, something needs to be done, the entire capital is shut down. But I thought it was a tiny fringe minority that didn't represent Canadians. It's amazing how quickly 
that escalated, isn't it? But the reason I'm bringing that up, because pointing out where politicians are wrong and lie is pretty easy. It's it, it's a layup with a basket that's five foot high, right? It's 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 not even a slam dunk. It's just drop it in, right? No problem. Without being defended, it's easy as hell. But we also need to talk about if we're going to protest, if we're going to protest, having a goal, understanding the goal, and staying on the goal, and not doing anything that pushes us off the goal. Okay? The goal of the trucker convoys is not, like many of you seem to think, to really shut down the supply lines. We need to prepare for that because if it gets big enough, that's what could happen. But that's not the goal of the trucker convoy. The trucker convoy is designed to do a very specific group of things. It is designed, one, to set an example to show people they are not alone in their opposition to the shit that's going on. That's first and foremost. To provide leadership for that movement and to inspire people to stand up, speak up, and demask on their own. And it's happening in Canada. It's working right now. They're not going to just wholesale say, okay, you guys are right, we're scared, we'll take down all the mandates. They, they'll never do it that way. But what's happening is, and I've had multiple reports of this in places in Canada where if you went a couple weeks ago, if you went to the store without your, your face diaper on, you would be escorted out by security, the cops would be called on you, something like that. Now you're walking around 10, 20, 30% of people have just said, no, I'm done. That's what this is supposed to do. And remember, when we started this section of the show, how I talked about the 20% in the middle? That's what any well-organized protest is supposed to do. Now, the left... They always protest stupidly because you don't win support of that group of people by burning down buildings. The left runs protests to settle scores and to make excuses for violence 90% of the time. I mean, I remember when the left actually used to run decent demonstrations. It was one of the things that was endearing. I remember when the left was anti-war. I, le I remember when the left was anti-establishment. Right? I remember those guys. I didn't hate those guys. I thought they had a lot of valid points. Now the left is all about we should listen to our overlords and we should destroy cities. Okay? That, that's where we're at now, right? That, but the right needs to not fall into that trap. They need to not just be better. They need to be almost perfect to get anything done. So what this brings up is I saw a bunch of this going around on Gab this weekend. And they were saying the truckers... In, now, now, first, I'm going I'm to preface this with the, the little meme that's going around saying this. It's probably one of those things of all the things that never happened, this never happened the most, right? So it's just somebody made this up. The, the truckers were threatening, threatening to shut down the Super Bowl, Okay. And then it was like, well, we should do it. Screw my NFL. Those guys support CRT and BLM. And what? all these reasons the NFL sucks. I don't disagree that the NFL sucks. Okay, I'm, I was a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan all my life. I've barely watched football for the last two years. Not because I'm mad, just because I'm like, this is not what I tuned in to watch football for. I'm not into this. It's not a boycott. I'm just not interested. They did it to themselves. But it is the most watched televised event in America, and it's a huge deal to a lot of people that fall in that 20%. So you have to ask yourself, would doing this advance the goal of the demonstration? Would it win hearts and minds? Would it make people want to stand up? Or would it make them pissed off 
And again, the 40% that will completely buy into this, the COVIDians, the ones that want us locked down, masked up, and jabbed forever, I don't care if something pisses them off because they're not winnable. You can't win that side over. So we're not worried about them. And we're not worried about the people that already have picked a side, except we want to make them stand a little taller, be a little louder, and act a little bit more free. It's the middle we want to move. And if you do that, you hurt what you're trying to accomplish. Remember what I said about these truckers. This mimics Gandhi's march to the sea. Gandhi put his robes and his, his sandals on and said, I'm going to the sea, and I'm going to make salt. Now, he could have showed up at the sea and simply said, I'm here at the sea, I'm going to make salt right now. And you know what it would have accomplished? Nothing. It wouldn't have been the start of one of the greatest movements for independence and liberty that ever happened if he did it that way. He started very far away and slowly walked over time to the sea. Because anybody looking at it that wasn't a complete moron said, what? He's not a lot. They're going to put him in jail for drying seawater up? This is what we need to be doing with the Struckers movement. People need to look at this and go, well, why do they have to do this? Why, why is a guy who could be out earning a living parking his truck in front of the White House instead of working? Why, why is it that important? Because a lot of people that live in a lot of places that either don't have the restrictions or they're far enough away to not see the restrictions, because even in states that have massive restrictions, get outside the yuppie land version of it, And nobody does it anyway. So they don't really understand what's going on unless they go to one of these places. But when they see something like this, they start to wonder what's going on. They start to ask why and what. And that's how you get somebody to actually receive information. You can't push information into somebody against their will. It's not possible. Once the mind shuts down and says, I don't want to hear this, it doesn't matter. You could bring a briefcase of evidence for your side. They won't hear a word. And what they do here, they'll rewrite to match their narrative. But if you get them saying, well, how, what, why, what can we do? Did this really work? If you get people asking those questions, then when they go seek the answers, we already know the answers. Um, and and, and then, they, then they're going to find them, and then you build support. And that's what's happening in Canada. So if you ever find yourself doing some sort of organizing for something like this, You've got to learn the lesson of how bad the left is at it. And the left is terrible. Putting a bunch of women in pink pussy hats, running out in the middle of the street and screaming and yelling because Donald Trump became president, and your only demand is, I don't want this to happen, is insane. That demonstration, whether I wanted it to or not, could have been effective if they would have said, these three things are what we want. And not burn shit down and not cause any problems for anybody that wasn't part of the problem in the first place, right? That could have been somewhat effective. They had a lot of cameras on them, way more cameras than the right ever gets. The, you know, if like three people show up in freaking Missoula, Montana on a Wednesday to protest global warming, CNN sends a chopper in. But if, if, if you have thousands and thousands of truckers heading to Ottawa to protest for human rights of their own citizenry, we pretend it's not happening. So we have to make the most, and when I say we, I'm, I'm not right or left, right? I'm an anarchist. I hate the state. I hate the state systems. I think all actions between humans should be voluntary. I know that makes me crazy. Clearly believing that all actions between all people should be voluntary makes me a racist. All racists think that, you know. 
You know, they don't think about subjugating one race beneath another and using force to control them or anything like that. They all think about complete liberty for everybody. That's, that's the hallmark of racism, right? So we need, when I say we, I mean anybody that's for the cause of liberty. Because I'll tell you what, if somebody said to me, would you ever support a leftist movement? Are the leftists actually arguing for freedom and liberty in some way? If the Democrats remembered who they're supposed to be, and started objecting to wars all over the world. Because now, now the Democrats, and I'm talking about the individual people now, not the politicians, right? The Democrats are calling for freaking war with you, Russia through Ukraine. There's no benefit to America from that. But if the left took its, its, its historical role and came up and said, we oppose any military action in Ukraine. It's not in the benefit of our people. Ukraine's not actually an ally. They're a partner, not an ally. We have no formal alliance. <clears throat> They're not part of NATO. We want nothing to do with this. We want nothing to do with kids being killed with bombs with our names on them. I would back the left in that. But you'd have to stay true to this is the thing we're trying to get done. When a movement becomes we want 500 things, it's dead before it starts. It's one or two things. It's very specific. It's very easy to understand. It needs to appeal to the human being inside of people. And it needs to be done in a way that maybe disrupts things, but doesn't piss the people off, at least in a huge way, that you're trying to win over. Canceling the Super Bowl? Again, of all the things that have never happened, the actual reality that the truckers are planning to do that is probably the most never happened ever. But the fact that people think that's a good idea, that's somebody that doesn't understand the goal at all. It's a, to that person, it's about settling a score. Settling a score leads to violence. Violence leads to hate. And hatred leads to the dark side. And sooner or later, the dark side loses. We've learned that in history over and over and over again. All right. Now, I want to talk about Bitcoin for a bit. We had a friend on here sniping about Bitcoin recently. And uh, right at the beginning of this episode, popped in. New troll I have, Conservative Action USA or some shit like that the guy's name is. And he said, I can't believe you guys think, you don't know that Bitcoin is run by commies. I can't believe that preppers are supporting Bitcoin. It's run by the New World Order. Take your pick. Is it the commies or the New World Order? Or is it both? Or the New World Order or the commies? I don't know. Um, Bitcoin is not run by anybody. We're not going to go into that today, though. I want to talk about what I'm going to call Bitcoin's new normal. And I said we would see that either happen or not happen in early 2022. When we had the big drop down, said, we're either going to see this stabilize or we're going to see that we're still going through the, the conventional four-year halving cycle. And one of the reasons I said that I don't think we are in the four-year halving cycle anymore, and I think that cycle's gone now, and that's the new normal I'm speaking to. We're out of that big run-up, big drop-down, languish for two years, big and just stair-step over four years We never actually had the run-up that matched the stock-to-flow model of all of the other parts of the halving cycle. We never went that high, and the high that we went to, we never dropped to what is consistent with that cycle, which is about an 80% drop, meaning if Bitcoin had hit $100,000, and that would have been at the bottom end of the band of the stock-to-flow model for this cycle, you would have expected historically after that peak for Bitcoin to drop to $20,000. Well, we got up to, what, $69,000? And we dropped to, like, $30,000? That's outside the model. 
That's outside the model. And, and the reason I believe that's happened is there's so much institutional money now. So many rich people figured this out, and you can thank Michael Saylor for that. And I think one of the things we need to look at, and this is these numbers come from Michael Saylor during an interview almost a year ago. And he said if if there was the people he said a lot of people in Bitcoin don't like it that institutions are buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin. And at the time he said, I don't know if he was right or wrong, but I think he's a pretty good estimate. He said, I think if if it was only retail buyers, if there was no institutional money in Bitcoin right now, Bitcoin would probably be priced at about nine to twelve thousand dollars, and it would take a lot longer for it to get where we want it to go. But with the institutional money, I think we were sitting at like fifty thousand at the time of that interview. He said the institutional money is the reason for the difference because there's so much of it. Well, people would say, well, that means that if they dump it, they can crash the price. Well, they can affect the price, but you you, you have to ask yourself how how much do you think these institutions understand Bitcoin at this point? And I think it's a, to a great deal, to a great deal. And it's kind of like a Mexican standoff, right, with the guns pointed at, you know, four or five people in a circle. Everybody's pointing a gun at somebody. That if you are in an institution right now and you're accumulating BTC and you're thinking, okay, I'll just take profits, but the rest of the, the clan doesn't because it's not like everybody that's doing this is on board with each other here. Then what happens? Well, then you miss out. And institutions get FOMO, too. And if these institutions can take 10% of their money and, and roll it into Bitcoin, and they know in some, at some point it could become 90% of their wealth, and they don't really need it. They don't need the 10% at all because they can buy, borrow unlimited money for business operations. And if they think Bitcoin is going to perform better than their primary product or service, they'd be insane to sell it. So they're holding on to it and they don't want to let go. And there's some trends emerging that I think is indicative of this new phase. And it doesn't really have much to do with institutions directly. It's more an indirect. Number one is rewards programs. And, you know, most people know about the BlockFi credit card. You use a BlockFi credit card, you get rewards in Bitcoin. But there are more and more and more companies figuring this out and integrating with the Lightning platform to do it. Because if you want to make lots of micropayments, which, you know, rewards on a credit card would be a micropayment for most people's usage, then you need that. And you're going to have platforms like Strike leading the way, I believe, with that. I believe it won't be very long before Strike has a freaking credit card or a debit card of some sort attached to it. So we're going to see a lot more rewards programs. Now, what happens when that, when that, when that goes down? People who have been like, you know, I've wanted to buy some Bitcoin but I really don't know how. I don't have an account. Like people think, like I ask people all the time, how do I set up a Bitcoin account? You don't. There's no such thing as a Bitcoin account. There's a Bitcoin address. You can have an account with a broker, and then you can buy Bitcoin, but then you can move it to your own address. It's not an account. It doesn't have your name on it. It doesn't have your social security. It's an address. You can send it to any address or group of addresses you want to control. So people don't even understand that. But as they get these opportunities for like rewards... Well, they're going to be like, well, that would be easy. It's not a ton of money, and I'll just click that box, and instead of getting a debit against my credit card for the month, I'll get Bitcoin rewards. Now, as they start to accumulate those rewards, and we get on another pump, and they start to see the money they're making, and they're going to have a way to hold it at that point. 
What they're going to do is they're going to go to their friends and family. You know, us crazy conspiracy theorists that have been talking about this shit for over 10 years now. They're going to go to us and they're going to be like, hey, I got some Bitcoin now. I don't know what to do with it. They're going to ask for help. Now, once you experience the power of taking Bitcoin and moving it to a place that you have full control over, there is a switch that goes click in your brain. And it all, and until you, and this is why I've always said, go buy a couple hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin, Coinbase, coin, I don't care where, move it to a wallet you control, learn how to do it. If you, if you, if you don't even want to hold it, then use it to pay for some things that you were going to buy anyway with some people that take Bitcoin and just learn how to do it. Because I know once that switch goes, I know what happens. I've seen it over and over again. There's a power in it. I remember when I, I set my wife up with Exodus on her phone, just a software wallet. And we have a particular, we have a couple customers that will occasionally pay, but we have one customer that always buys our duck eggs with Litecoin. And she started receiving Litecoin, right? And she was the same way, you know. I, long as I've been doing this, she's she's still. How do I set up an account? There's not an account. There's a wallet, and that's a hard thing for people to get their head around, right? And you know, when she started receiving Litecoin, and I had like some Litecoin, so I like I gave her all my Litecoin too, right? And then she started looking at it as we went through a pump. And she looked at it, she looked at me, she goes, I want more. There you go. Now you're beginning to understand. And so I think that the rewards programs, more than anything else, are going are gonna to encourage new people to get involved. And retail might be the smaller end of the spectrum, but it definitely has effect. And there's more retail customers in total to gain than there are institutional investors to gain. Next is... Getting paid in Bitcoin. Now, Strikes made this doable for most people with most banks. There are some banks not on it, but right now you can set up Strike, S-T-R-I-K-E, Strike, as an app on your phone. You can link it to your bank account, and then you can fill out a form that you give to your employer. Basically, you change your direct deposit allocation, and you can say, I want 95% of my paycheck to go to my main bank like it always does, and I want to be paid 5% in Bitcoin. And that's completely open to just about... The only way you can't do that right now is if they are not working with your bank yet. So you could set up a separate bank account. You could, you know, you, you could ask them to add the bank. They seem to be working to add more and more banks. But most major banks, they're, they're already working with. And that's just... like That's nothing anybody can stop. And your employer doesn't get a choice in this. I want to change my direct deposit. Done. But I think you're going to see more and more employers. And, and there's a link in the show notes about services that are going to employers now and saying... Would your employees like to receive part of their, their paycheck in Bitcoin? And they'll set it up for the employer. Now, I used to work for a company. I was a, a, a chief operations officer for a company. So I got to make a lot of decisions for the company. I sat on the board. We would you know, take votes on things that were uh, high-level executive decisions. And if this was going on right now, and I was still doing that, and we had about 1,200 contractors, and they were contractors for our customers. So they were technically our employees. And then we had about 50 office personnel. And if 5 or 10% of them were saying, hey, guys, I, I want to get paid in Bitcoin, even if one or two asked, then I would, you know, basically we'd send out a memo. Did you get the memo on the TPS reports, right? I'd send out a memo and say, are you interested? And if, you know, 5, 10%. Of my employees said, yeah, we want that. And I, I think we were using Paychex, C-H-E-X at the time for our payroll services. I would have called them up and said, hey, do you guys do this? And if they said no, I would have been like, well, i got to tell you, i got some people asking for it. I'm going to start shopping around to see if there's a pay payroll company that does. You see how that works? And I think more and more is going to come with that. Um, 
And K-Bong saying Strike has a $5 referral program. So I found out what was going on there. I got I made like 400 bucks or something in Bitcoin from Strike doing referrals. And then they stopped coming. And I've had a few trickle in from that post I did all the way back in October. Apparently you can earn $400 in the referral program in a single calendar year. So I probably need to recirculate that again. Uh, I recommend it whether I get paid or not. But I, I did communicate with them and said, I don't know why you have that cap. Right, and I don't know why you don't have like some sort of influencer program you can sign up for or something if you're worried about because I'm not going to aggressively pr pr push something you know that I, I get no compensation for. I'm not going to load thousands of people into your app for zero dollars. I don't think that's fair. And they said we agree, but we're not doing it. So fine. Uh, everybody has a reason they make those decisions. But overall, strike aside, there's going to be more and more and more people setting this up where you can get some of your paycheck in Bitcoin. And this is something people like. Not the Bitcoin thing in itself. People like payroll deductions for doing things. Because they feel like it, it, it's not like real money. It's like space credits. Like That's why they do... You know, that's why they do things like uh, your taxes deducted from your paycheck. Because you might hate... Like, you get your first paycheck, you're like, what the hell is this? But eventually people just become accustomed to it. And then once they become accustomed to it, they're, they're you know, I'll put 5% in my 401k. So how long is it then before these companies that are helping you get paid in Bitcoin start, start setting up things like self-directed IRAs if we don't get the ETF that we need to have, which we're going to do sooner or later anyway, and all of a sudden we have a de facto Bitcoin ETF because you have a payroll deduction going into a self-directed IRA holding Bitcoin. And it's completely voluntary. And you know what it costs me as your employer to do stuff like that? Absolutely, positively nothing. Payroll companies will almost pay you to use them. You get you, They can't because of some legal frameworks. But I'm telling you, when you have a big company, and you, like we used paychecks, and I knew the guy that was our rep there pretty well, um, yeah, we got taken to a lot of dinners and stuff like that. Like, it, it, it's profitable for them to have the account. So they don't charge you a lot. Any fees get paid by the individual employee, and there's like management fees, et cetera, in the account. I don't pay them. They compete for my business as an employer. So that's coming. Then the other thing that's coming is professional investment managers using it for their clients. That's happening more and more and more. Now, professional investment managers often shy away from things like individual holding investments because they're compensated based on account management through fees. So like when you see, a, you see a job posting, if they still write newspapers anymore, where it's like, become a financial liar for American, I mean, did I say liar? Yeah, for American Express, you know. And the way those guys earn their money is they have things that they can put your money into under that Amex umbrella. Different mutual funds and ETFs and things like that, or even individual stocks. And then you get a brokerage statement every quarter that tells you how much broker you are because of what they've done. And they earn fees based on their assets under management. So if you want to make a lot of money, you want a lot of assets under management. If I start putting all my clients into a 10% of their retirement Bitcoin position, which would be pretty conservative, I'm not getting paid on that. However, really good investment managers, actual financial advisors and investment managers, people that actually do financial management, they generally don't work that way. 
Those people work on a, a, a fee basis, an annual or a quarterly fee that's flat. Right? And maybe they do have some things within your portfolio that they earn a management fee or something on. But they also charge you that straight fee. It's $600 a year or whatever it is. So that person, their goal is to put you in a position that makes them happy so you don't go away and stop paying them that money. Well, those guys are learning. They're being educated. Sailor has a whole shitload of stuff just for those people to help them learn how to do this for their clients. And you're going to start seeing things where, like, you got a guy and he's worth, you know, three or four million bucks. And he's much more comfortable working through his investment manager who's done a good job for him. And he's going to go to him and he's going to be like, Frank, hey, uh, I want to start adding some Bitcoin to my portfolio. And Frank's going to be like, I don't do that. And, and he's going to be like, you know what? Maybe you need to do that, right? Maybe you need to be doing that because I want to do that. And that guy doesn't want to go KYC himself in the Coinbase on his own. He doesn't want to buy it. He doesn't want the scary thing. He, what he wants to do is make a phone call and say, I want to do this. And he either wants it done for him or he wants to be walked through it. And in the case of Bitcoin right now, you're probably going to need to be walked through it, at least the beginning. But they want that service. That's how people like that think. I have a guy for that. So when you start seeing that guy go into this, it's only a matter of time before they all go into it. Because nothing gets you to pick up a service faster than one of your clients saying, I'm leaving you because you don't have this. Now, you got to understand the people we're talking about here. If, if you have a work-a-day job and you put $200 a month into your Roth IRA, and that's what your financial liar is managing, and maybe your wife puts $100 in, so it's a, you're, you're putting in $3,600 a year, and you say, because you don't have X, I'm leaving, they don't give two shits. But when a client with a, with a book of business of two, three, four million dollars walks out the door, that gets your attention. That gets your attention hard. And it takes one or two of those before you start going, oh shit, I got a problem. So there's your three emerging trends this year, and they will be huge by the end of the year. Uh, rewards and rebate programs paying in Bitcoin through the Lightning Network, getting paid in Bitcoin from your employer one way or another, and professional managers using it within portfolios. And the second the ETF hits, again, it's game over. It's game over. It will be in every retirement account you'll be able to invest in Bitcoin. And people are asking about other cryptos. It's Bitcoin, guys, that's going to have all this happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter or you shouldn't hold some other uh, currencies and that they don't have certain things that they do better or whatever. But as we increase regulation, the regulatory uh, framework is going to be more comfortable for Bitcoin than just about anything else, and it is the apex predator. Whether you want to believe that or not, it is the apex predator. Texas Homestead has asked what's happening to the Algorand APY. Well, as they've done more and more emissions, the rewards have gone down as more and more people are holding more and more Algorand, and it's spread out against more people. That's how proof of state works. It's one of the flaws with it. It's not only a flaw, it's just it's a reality. Like a lot of these proof of stake currencies, when they come out, they have really good returns in the beginning. It's not sustainable, or it becomes incredibly inflationary. There has to be a point where that levels off. And if it doesn't, you have an inflationary currency, and we've done no good. <clears throat> anyway, next up, I want to talk about some other stuff. I want to talk about the fact that it's getting close to zero hour, guys. 
Let's talk about the backyard for a minute. Next week is Valentine's Day, right? Not only is that the week of my workshop, it's the week that I really need to be starting peppers and tomatoes and things like that because we're looking six weeks out from there. We're past my last frost date, and that's when I want to be putting sturdy little honey badger plants into the ground. I don't want to be putting spindly little plants that have only had a couple weeks to get up and going into the ground. And I really don't want to be like, damn it, I, I snoozed, I lost, and I need to go out now and go down to uh, Russell's Feed or to Walmart or to freaking Home Depot or Lowe's or something and buy a bunch of plants somebody else started for me. That I don't know what was done with them, how good they are, whatever, but I just that's what I'm left with now. I don't want that. And so I'm going to tell you that in almost every part of the country, you're within one to three weeks maximum of when you need to put those seeds into the system. You really need to do it very, very soon, and if you're not ready, you need to get ready. If you go to, to my website, there's a tab at the top. It says tspaz.com, or tspaz. That's tspaz.com if you want to go directly there. You see all the stuff that I've reviewed. If you go into the hydroponics and aquaponics segment or the gardening segment, you can see, you can find the, the grow lights, all the stuff that I recommend, the timers, etc. And I'm going to tell you, a small seed starting system. You don't have to, like some of the stuff I've done is pretty big time, elegant looking stuff. A very simple system can be built for about a hundred bucks. Little mini indoor greenhouse. Just put some pan, use um, some pans like the, the big aluminum pans I've used in that for Kratky. You don't even have to do Kratky. Put your plants in soil. Put the pots in the pans. Fill the pans up about that deep with water every day. Water from the bottom. Keep the thing closed unless you start having too much humidity and then somewhat open. And that system will pay for itself in one year. Look what plants cost. But if you have done none of this yet, I'm just reminding you, and if you are going to do it, but all the stuff is still in the back shed or something, you haven't got it out yet, now would be the time, friends. It's coming. You can go to almanac.com, stick your zip code in, find your, your, your last frost date, and most of you want about six to eight weeks lead time, especially your, your nightshades, your, your peppers, your tomatoes, your eggplants. Those guys grow really slow in the beginning. You need at least six weeks to really get, and you want good quality lights. Again, I, I, I recommend uh, a brand of lights uh, by, by a company called Barina. They've been fantastic for my audience. I've sold thousands of them. You can find them again, tspaz.com. Look under hydro and aquaponics or look under gardening. And they won't let you down. And you know, right now, I think the two-foot lights, I think a six-pack is on sale for like 60 bucks. Five years ago, one of those lights was $60. Bucks. They've really gotten a lot more affordable, but we're coming into, my, you know, my, my uncle used to say, like, if we were going to go somewhere and it was a really nice weekend in the middle of winter, like we got a nice weekend, he'd say, oh, geez, everybody and their mother's here, right? Everybody and their mother's here, like it's crowded. I, I wish we weren't here. It's too many people. That's what's about to happen with all of the gardening supplies. Everybody and their mother's fixing to start buying. So while it is in stock, I highly recommend you get your hands on it. Uh, next up, I wanted to again reiterate my call, and this would be a good time. If you have something for me and you haven't dropped it in with all caps to alert me yet since I'm on my last one, be a good time to drop those comments and questions in for me, and we'll hit those after we get through this. I want to give you my top five picks 
for backyard protein uh, production, and I'll give you an honorable mention that's not on the list, and I'll tell you why it goes to six. But my number one recommendation, and it's not particularly in any order, it's whatever works best for you, is chickens. And that's for eggs, and if you can have a rooster, because you don't live somewhere the blue hairs are going to get in your face about it, crossing large breeds for meat production. The more I look into this and the way that our grandparents did this, the more I become convinced this is one of the most sustain actually not sustainable, most regenerative things we could be doing. And taking something like a, a Brahma, which just gets huge, and crossing with like Buff Orpingtons or something like another large breed, you're going to get reasonable growth from your babies, and you'll be able to harvest in 12 to 16 weeks. And if you're trying to make money selling 10,000 chickens a year, you're going to go broke doing that. You'll go broke doing that. If you're a homesteader and you want to produce 20 to 40 birds a year for yourself, you can produce those birds for almost no money. And the first time you do it and you don't go buy chicks for $250 a chick and have like a 20% mortality rate because of the way that they're raised and handled getting uh, to you, uh, you're, you're going to be very, very happy right out of the gate. Because what is 50 chickens cost? It's $100. That's $100 bucks you didn't spend. That, and you could probably feed those birds if you find a good source of non-GMO feed like we found. I found a non-GMO feed source. If you live in North Texas, it's called Tony Seed and Feed. They're about 90 miles from me. They're totally worth it because I get a bag of non-GMO, non-soy feed for $11. Got to call in advance and I got to buy a bunch when I go because it's a long drive. But all of a sudden, everything is everything makes sense financially. Where what I was buying kept going up and it got up to $24 a bag. And sometimes I couldn't get it for $24 a bag. It just wasn't available. So when you, if you feed in that range and you're letting animals forage and they're getting out and they're getting you know, half their feed off your land, you can raise 20 chickens and you might have four or five bucks into them. I have a place down the road from me. Um, they'll process birds for $4 a bird. I can't sell them legally anyway. Not legally. But they'll do birds for $4 a bird. I can't be bothered to process. And, I mean, that's plucked. And that's parted out if I want it or a whole bird. So I could go down there with 20 birds, 80 bucks, drop them off one day, pick them up the next. You know, that's that starts to make a lot of sense from a standpoint of really providing a lot of meat for yourself. And as I said last week when I talked about this last week, I think chickens are like one of the easiest animals to maintain your own flock, take eggs, put them in an incubator, brood them, and raise them. Like your hatch rates with chickens are really high. If you go even one rooster to ten pullets, you, you're, you're going to end up with a really good fertility rate. I did, there were all these bantam crosses I did recently. I think I put 18 in the incubator and got 16 to hatch. And honestly, I probably lost those two because of how cold it was when I was getting those eggs, and some of them probably just got too cold. They, probably, they were probably all fertile. We'll, we'll hatch ducks, and we'll get 60% hatch rates. Just saying. So I think chickens, huge. Muscovy ducks. I just did a whole episode a few weeks ago on why Muscovy ducks are probably the best animal for the most people. They're quiet. The meat yield is incredible. They're great foragers. Um, they produce a lot of manure, so if you harvest that stream right, they make great compost. They're very agreeable birds. As long as you clip their wings, and as long as you're okay with killing the ones you need to kill... Um, the meat off a drake is insane. A big drake will dress out at like 11 pounds. And one half of a breast off a big drake muscovy will be a dinner for two adults. 
So the two breasts will feed a family of four. Plus then you have the, the, the thighs and the legs, which are substantial on a Muscovy drake. But here's the other thing about Muscovies and why I really consider uh, them to be such a great backyard protein source. Tons of eggs when they produce them and simply dehydrate. If you have a home freeze dryer, you can do that or mix them up and freeze them during the production season. You can make plenty of eggs to last you through a full year if you do something with the surplus when you have it. But the other thing is you can sell them. You can sell them way easier than just about anything else. Muscovy females around here go for about 15 to 20 bucks, and they sell fast. It took me a while to get them again because every time I found some for sale, they were gone before I got in touch with the people. Muscovy drakes around here actually sell for more than the females. Why? Because people don't buy them just for their backyards. They buy them to eat them. And we have a huge like Asian community, that's, and mostly Laotians, who have discovered how great this is for fam big family celebration meals. So the guy I got Muscovies from, he said he sells a big drake for $35 to $45, depending on how big it is. He doesn't process it. He, come get your thing, bring a box or a cage. And they give it to the family, and the family takes it home, and they process it themselves. So when you can sell any surplus you have at a profit, that makes a lot of sense. So personally, I think for most people, the game would be harvest your drakes for your own personal meat consumption. Keep your flock balanced. Bring some new genetics in once in a while. Find some other people who have Muscovies. Do some trades. That's a great way to get your genetics outsourced without spending any money. I'll give you two hens for two of your hens. I just want more genetics, right? I'll give you one of my drakes for one of your drakes. I just want some more genetics. Then take your surplus females, since they're a much smaller meat yield, and before you go ahead and process them, see if you can sell them. If you can't sell them, process them. But if you can sell them, take the money and pay for feed. I, I, I don't think there's another thing that goes in your backyard that works that good. Next is aquaculture, growing your own fish. I found uh, this weekend, biggest stock tank I could find, delivered $700. Didn't order it because I got plenty of water on the property already. It is two and a half feet deep, or 20, 28 inches deep. So two foot, four inches deep. And it is, I think, 10 foot diameter. And it's poly, which means it'll last longer than you and me will. It's a forever investment. An 1,100-gallon tank, you take some cinder blocks and make hidey holes, and you throw bullheads in it. You can eat bullheads. Like, go out in spring, buy, get a whole bunch of little ones, all the same size because they're cannibalistic otherwise. Put them in there, start feeding them, train them to, to pellet feed on the surface. Get as many in as quick as you can. And when I say as many as you can in a tank that size, you could probably have about 100 of them. And then the next season you start harvesting. You build a second system in your second year, and you spring, you go out, they're free. You take, I have a video on how to do this. You put salt on shrimp. Best bullhead bait I've ever come up with for little bullheads. Because they can't steal it. It's like freaking shrimp jerky on the, and they still eat the hell out of it. So I, when I harvest bullheads for this, I harvest them all about three to four inches. I don't want any big ones in because they will start eating their little brothers and sisters. And you want lots of, but, but that would be one example. You could do it with channel catfish, but then you're probably going to be buying them, right? You can do it with bluegills. They don't grow as fast, but I love doing bluegills too. And to me, you can automate this so much. I mean, if you have a pump and a second pump for redundancy so that if, if one pump dies, the other pump keeps your fish alive, um, and you feed them once a day and add water whenever you need to, and you take a float valve that's made to go on a stock tank, and attach it, and attach it to water with pressure, assuming that you have water that doesn't need to be dechlorinated, 
And I'll tell you a secret. If you have an 1,100-gallon tank and you plumb that to city water, now you have to dechlorinate it when you first put the fish in. But if you're losing 5 to 10 gallons a day in evaporation and you're replacing it with chlorinated water, it will dissipate. You will never have a problem. And I know people doubt me when I say that, but I'm going to tell you right now I know that, and I'll tell you how I know it. I'm big into fish aquariums, and I don't have this set up because it's too complex for here, but guys that have really big fish rooms, they use what's called a constant drip system. And then what they do is they take all the tanks, they put them on the exact same level, and they connect them with either aquarium siphons, which you have to look up, or bulkheads. And um, they connect them together, they run water in one tank, and it drips out the other tank down to a drain. And they run straight city water, and they have no problems. So at that amount, and that's a constant drip. That's not just on evaporation. That does water changes automatically. So if you can do that, you can do what I'm talking about. Next up, turkeys. Best bang for your buck on meat, buy broad-breasted bronze or broad-breasted whites and raise them six months, huge birds. Your, your males will dress out at 50 pounds plus. I mean, I got more meat off of three toms than the biggest white tail that I ever shot. It's, it's amazing how much meat you get off of them. Or you can go with um, some sort of heritage breed, and I've checked into it, and it does appear that you will get some hybrid vigor if you take something like, you know, a Nassit or whatever the hell they're called, and like a Royal Palm. So you can do your gobblers from one race and your, your hens from another, and you get a lot of, uh, a lot of sustainability there. Uh, next up, quail. And the reason I throw quail in there is because it's something that anybody can do. It can be done in a garage. It can be done out in a shed or what have you. And it is incredibly, incredibly easy to learn how to do. They're incredibly easy to self-process. I can process a quail, six weeks old, perfect size to eat, in less than 45 seconds with nothing but my two hands. Pop the head off, yank the wings off, pop the breast out, pull out the, the leg and thigh sections, snap the foot off, Pull out the heart and the gizzard, if you like the heart, gizzard, and liver. 45 seconds, done. Throw it into a bucket of cold water. Then clean them off a little bit better at the end. And there's not much else that you can do that with. And then the cost of feeding them is really low. And they're incredibly productive. I know a person, one stack of quail in his garage, about about a 1,200 coal birds a year in meat from a single stack. I would not be comfortable stacking them that heavy. But it's doable. And he does like 10,000 eggs. Now that is something that anybody can do. And there are ways to do them with aviaries, outside, etc. I've done it. It works. I, I don't do it anymore. My wife doesn't eat them. That's why I quit doing them. Um, but you can make it a lot more eco-friendly. They can be run in tractors. If you're going to run quail in a tractor, that just needs to have a bottom. That's big enough for them to peck through, but not big enough for them to get through. Because when you move them, they're not like chickens. And you're going to have a smaller tractor, so the problem is without the weight, you're going to get predators can just flip it over. So by having like a larger mesh on the bottom, they can do all of their pecking through, eating seeds, eating weeds, eating grass, etc. And they're just flat out awesome. And I think they're one of the best eating critters you can have. Honorable mention, the rabbit. Now, people are going to say, but Jack, you know, you can... You can get more meat from two does and one buck rabbit than from a goat. Why isn't rabbit in the top five? I'll tell you why. And this might change if I ever keep them, because I've never kept rabbits myself. But when I watch you guys 
discuss your homesteading activities. The one that I see people spending the most time trying to figure out how to fix problems with is rabbits. And it's either they get too cold in the winter or too hot in the summer. Everything else on my list tends to not have that problem. As long as you set your system up right. And you can say, well, if you set your system up right with rabbits, then it... Uh, I haven't seen anybody do it yet. I think if you're in the perfect climate... Maybe when you have to worry about some supplemental heat, it's not that big a deal because it doesn't happen very often. But then you also have to worry about, like, do your summers get too hot? Because I see people putting freaking ice bottles in with them and all kinds of stuff. So to me, they require more effort than I personally want to put in, if especially I'm doing one thing. Now, I think they are a great... I love rabbit. I wish I could get one of my neighbors doing rabbits, and I could be swapping him something I do. I, I would love that because I think they're fantastic. And one of the things they really have growing for them is you can basically provide almost all your own feed. With some fodder trees and growing certain things and a bag mower, you can provide 80% to 90% of their feed. I always think a little bit of pellet feed is good for bunnies, but um, you can do so much of it. Let's start taking your stuff now. I'm going to go back to live stream one more time. I've got one more all caps one here i got 20 things I'm going to go through, so I'm not going to take any more. What's in is what's in. Uh, James Richter says, It seems as if the White House put up the perimeter fence because they knew uh, eventually it would come to uh, their front doorstep. That might be the case. You know, the whole January 6th thing, like that's not what they, they know they're full of shit about that. They're, they're not afraid of that. But I think that, like, boy, I don't know, I feel a little more secure ensconced behind my fence right now if the trucks show up. Somebody did the math, by the way, and it was something like 4,400 trucks could completely shut down D.C. They don't have to go into D.C. They did the math on all the places to park them and surround D.C. I don't know if that's a good idea. Shutting down, I don't know, is really the way to go. Ottawa's not shut down. People can get through Ottawa, in and out of Ottawa. It's happening all the time. They're just they're annoyed because they're out there honking all the time. Um, K-Bong says, I guess this is what I was talking about, keeping your focus about demonstrations. Our bills should be written that way, three issues at most. So he's talking about a bill that's going to become a law. Remember that old gimmick that they used to tell you were in school, the schoolhouse rock special? How does a bill become a law, Jimmy? That, that shit. Um, actually, I think it's the libertarian, the official libertarian party. One of the things on their platform is that no legislation should be more than 20 pages and should be written in plain English that the average person can understand. Um, I don't know that we can fix government. But I would take that as a win. If we could get a substantial limit on any bill that was going to be voted on, and it was something like the bill has to be submitted, and when it's going to go to a vote, it has to, unless it's some sort of an emergency, which they're always going to play that card. But, you know, we're going to allocate something to do this thing, the, uh, the Flowers for Orphans Act or whatever. No more than 20 pages, plain English, easy to understand. If I'm supposed to obey your law, I should be able to comprehend your law. I can't afford to have a lawyer telling me constantly, no, you can't do that. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do that if you hold your finger the right way or some shit, right? So that would be a win, um, and I would take it. Mike is asking, are you concerned about ETFs allowing market manipulation like they do with silver? No, I'm not, because we have the ETFs that allow market manipulation already for Bitcoin. They're called futures ETFs. That's your manipulation. Um When you look at something like a straight spot ETF, that's a lot less going to be a lot less subject to manipulation. Anybody with enough money to manipulate it 
just in one go, you know, you're going to be able to do that without an ETF. And an institutional manager can't do it. And this is why it's important to understand how ETFs and mutual funds and things like that work. People have a very big misconception about how their money's managed when they put it into a mutual fund or an ETF. That they're actively managed, and most of them aren't. And something as simple as this is a Bitcoin spot ETF is not actively managed. Actively managed means that a manager looks at it every day and says, we're going to sell this and buy that, or we're going to sell this and hold it in cash. Even when they're that way, there will be a limit on how much cash that fund can hold. A spot ETF is going to be a straight shooting, you know, one Bitcoin equals this much money. And it's not really going to enable any more manipulation than we already have. Um, now, again, the, the futures ones do, and because they have to put out a prospectus, we actually know when they're going to be making their trades, and they're being front-end run by all the independents, and that's a big part of the volatility. Uh, Goldshaw Farms says, question for later, do you think geese are going to become more popular as feed prices continue to skyrocket? Maybe because they do so well on grass. The problem with geese is they're so expensive to get started with. It's just buying goslings, especially if you want sex goslings of a desirable breed. And my experience has been that, that they're not as easy as a lot of other fowl to reproduce for yourself. I have somebody coming on the air, uh, I think next month, that we're going to talk about how to do that well, though, and get better results with it. Um, the Hammer says, do you think institutions want Bitcoin more regulated? Institutions want everything more regulated. Not just Bitcoin. Institutions love regulation. Big institutions can afford regulation, and their competition can't. That's why all the laws are written by institutions. You don't think your congressman writes laws, do you? Lobbyists take laws written by teams of people that work for corporations and institutions and hand them to a congressman that they know is friendly to them, along with a fat contribution, and say, put your name on this. Every institution loves regulation. You know who wants regulation of social media? Facebook. I know that seems counterintuitive, but they do because it pushes out competitors. Uh, Girl Walks with Goat says, have you, been, have you heard about Indiana House Bill 1134, all about schools not being allowed to teach divisive topics and worse from there? No, I haven't. Um, and I think that our, you know, my advice with schools is get your kids out of school. Um, Greg Feth says, I'm near, I'm near crypto world. What is your opinion of them? I'm near crypto world. Never heard of them. Um, when it comes to picking someone to buy Bitcoin through, I go with bigger name people that have been around a while. I don't know who crypto world is. They might be fine, but I, I'm not going to say one thing good or bad about them. K-Bonk says real estate developers here are doing that already. I don't remember what that is. So if you're going to put something for me in all caps while I'm talking, remember I do a lot of variety on the Outback shows. I may not really remember what that was. SEO Prepper Fester. I don't know what that means, but maybe it's the festival, the Self-Reliance Festival uh, that's going on with SOE and uh, Living Free in Tennessee on the same days that I'm doing my Iron Uncle Watch Party. You might want to check that out. Um, Fortress K9 says, Float needs to add crowdfunding option. Yes, they do. I think they're more concerned right now with getting their full version of their platform up, which is delayed again. Um, and I think they'll probably want to do a marketplace before they do crowdfunding. But I would like to see them do pretty much everything. Uh, Mike says, how are my pullets doing? That's my little mixed breed mongrel uh, pullets. They're doing great. 
they're outside most of the time now. Uh, it did get very cold recently, so we've been bringing them in, but we have them in the old quail trackers, and uh, they're outside right now enjoying life and growing up into chickens, and hopefully soon they'll be big enough to go with the rest of the flock because that'll make my life easier. Christopher says, which side of a blackberry cane clippings goes in the ground growth hormone and then ground if both sides of the cane have roots, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, it's actually interesting to me that um, I was talking to a nurseryman one time, and he said that he hated the Internet. And I'm like, why? He says, people know too much now, and they ask questions that don't matter. And what he was doing, he was making his blackberry plants. He would take his green canes every year and bend them over and layer them and then cut them off and pull them out of the ground and sell them that way. And then people started looking it up like, why do my leaves look like this? And they knew that it was upside down. It doesn't matter. Everything that grows out of it will grow properly. So you can go either side with blackberry, uh, raspberry, any cane fruit clipping. It doesn't really matter as long as it's rooted uh, or as long as it's going to be able to root before it's time for it to grow. Um, can peppers and tomatoes, be, from Robert, can peppers and tomatoes be grown inside with crappy hydroponics? I've never tried something this big. You can do it. But remember the old analogy or uh, story, right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you, you should. To me, growing peppers and tomatoes indoors is a loss proposition. You're going to lose money doing it. I don't do things that lose money. Because you're going to need to use an awful lot of lighting, awful big plant, and you're going to get a very small yield relative to what you're doing. Um, if you look at the places that they do grow peppers and tomatoes you, and, and plants like that with hydro, they're always glass houses. So they have the room and the space and they get the majority of their light from nature. Uh, it's really the only way that it's... It's feasible to do it profitably, and I'm talking even at home scale right now, is to have some sort of uh, access to outdoor lighting. Cratkey, uh, though, absolutely. Cratkey works beautifully for peppers and tomatoes, especially tomatoes. But you want to use something like a 32-gallon garbage can to grow a cracky tomato. But it'll grow enormously. And then you want to plumb it. So remember, cracky, the water evaporates, and then the roots form into these beautiful hair roots, and you have roots in the water and roots in the air gap. And you want to let that, you know, you want to let that air gap maybe go to halfway on that barrel or on that, that uh, garbage can, and then you want to have a float valve in there that once it hits there, it keeps bringing uh, nutrient fluid in for the whole season. But it works beautifully. I've seen some amazing cracky tomatoes, amazing cracky pumpkins and squashes too, guys, but I don't think those things make sense indoors for most people. Uh, Christopher says, I'm only zoned for fowl, no roosters in the burbs. Are ostriches considered fowl? I think you'd have to ask your uh, your overlords that. I'm going to say probably not. But you're zoned for fowl, but no roosters. Muscovy ducks. That's why I say they're so wonderful because I just, you know, right there I was able to give you an answer. An instant, muscovy ducks, they don't make any noise, just clip their dadgone wings. And know this about muscovies. They poop a lot, even compared to other ducks. So their, their shelter area, you're going to need to make sure that you have enough carbon to deal with it. And then the other thing you're going to have to do is what we're fixing to do. We're fixing to fence off our porch because they love porches and they love pooping on porches and you're not going to like it. Um, Don says, do you harvest muscovies the same as chickens? Pretty much. What I do with a muscovy duck or any duck, um, if it's not going to have a really great yield, I just skin it, cut off the breast cutlets, and cut out the, the legs and thighs. And then if, if there's going to be enough of them to make it worth it, I'll skin the whole thing and take the core to make broth and, and, and stuff with. If it's a bigger bird, I will scald it, and I'll pluck the breast, and I'll take the two breast cutlets skin on, and then I do the rest without uh, plucking. 
If I have a bunch to do, that same place that will do chickens for me for four bucks will do ducks for me for eight. And if I have like ten ducks I want done whole and I want them pluck and I want to harvest fat and all, I'll take them down there and pay them to have them done. Um, but pretty much all birds are basically the same uh, as far as processing. Jack, do you think raising turkeys would be viable in an arid high plains desert from Ecomouse? I don't know. Probably. I would look around in your area and find out anybody that's doing it because I'm sure it's doable, but then what do you need to do to make it happen? I will put it this way, though. We have a, a wild turkey in Texas known as the Rio Grande turkey, and they certainly live in fairly arid environments. They, I mean, I see them all the time down in Kerrville. And Kerrville's not as desert, I think, as where you live, but it's, 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 it's edge desert. It's where you're going from scrub into desert. Uh, and, and they live there on the wild, so I don't know why we couldn't, you know, with some support, do well with turkeys. Uh, Goldshaw Farm says, what about geese and turkeys? I think I've covered that. I think turkeys are one of my top five. Uh, geese, I like geese. The yield isn't huge on a goose. It's a much bigger bird than the meat yield would have you believe when you look at it. But they're delicious. Um, if you have the space for them and you have good grass, it's almost free meat. So I think, and then if you have a big enough flock and you get enough reproduction, you can cull and harvest uh, young birds every year, and I think you can do pretty well. Um, Goldshaw Farm says, less feed needed when on grass. Absolutely, on geese, that's what we were just saying. Uh, Jack, Thumper makes for cheap eats as well. One buck and three does will keep a person in meat. I agree, but I explained why I see them as less ideal than my other five. That's why they got honorable mention. And one more from VR here. Jack, what happened to the quail tractor project you were involved in? Okay, there's a couple things happened. Um, one, we had three people in it, a three-person partnership. It's a terrible idea. Don't ever do it. Uh, the third person was supposed to do all the website work and all of the you know, stuff like that. And I was just going to push traffic to it. And then we had a third party who was building the actual quail tractors. The man that was building them is, is uh, Steve, and Steve unfortunately passed away. That's Steve Larkin. Uh, Dr. Ken Berry actually named him the quail master affectionately, and... Uh, He passed away this last year. Uh, he had, was on like his second kidney transplant. He was on borrowed time for over 20 years. And so he's not here to make them. And then the other partner went away. So Steve and I took the money that was in it. We shut it down. And then we split what was there, what was left. So the other partner just vanished on us. And uh, he kept making them. And you could have bought them up until last last. And I think Michael Croft still does a lot of work uh, for uh, Steve's widow now. And I think they might still be willing to make them for you. Uh, over there, I'll find a link to where you can learn more about that, or I'll I'll reach out to Michael and see if he's interested in in, in doing. It. I don't really know how that's going right now, um, but I still have them, and that's what I use for brooding my chickens in. They're fantastic. They're just basically big cages with a large grid on the bottom, and it's a really high quality cage material. You can figure out how to make them yourself with stuff you can buy in the store, but the stuff we were using is non toxic and it lasts forever. Um, so that's about it for the day. I really appreciate you guys being here. Uh, I see there's still a bunch of comments coming over on the live side, but um, James says, though I have a picture of my uh, quail tracker posted anywhere, I'll probably have a video this week of the babies in it, and you can see it there if you haven't seen it before. With that, I'm going to uh, sign off, guys. I appreciate you being with me. We went about an hour and a half today. I hope I gave you a great variety of topics. Thanks to everybody that stuck with me. Uh, I love when we do a live feed and we start out with one number and we end and it's three times what we start out with. That means people are coming in and staying around. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll catch you again tomorrow.
With that wrapped up, let me remind you one of the ways you can help support this show is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, you'll see all the items that I've reviewed over the years, and you'll know if it's there. I own it, I bought it, and I'd spend my money on it again if I needed another one or it won't be there. That's the way we run things. Today's item of the day has been out of stock off and on a lot lately, and it just came back into stock. I got a, a notice today, and it's something I brought you about a year and a half, two years ago. When Nicole Sauce told me that my Streamlight flashlight recommendation didn't work for girls, because girls have jeans with stupid non-pockets, which they didn't know about. It's called the MicroStream. It's about half the size of the Streamlight Stylus Pro. And I started recommending that one, and I was like, I'm confident recommending this, because it's basically the smaller version of the same light, and I've used Streamlight lights for over a decade. So I decided maybe I should get one of the MicroStreams myself. And carry it for a while. So I did that back around Thanksgiving. And I've been carrying one ever since. And I have actually stopped carrying the Stylus Pro because I like this light and the way it carries so much better. Uh, it's so small that you don't even know it's there until you need it, but then it's there. It is a little less bright. I don't find it significantly less so. Uh, if I'm going to be somewhere where I am carrying a gun and I'm worried about things, I'm going to be in the dark, I kind of upgrade uh, tactically anyway with that, and that doesn't happen for me very often. My, my main reason for carrying a light is just so I have a light. And this is plenty bright enough for anything. It carries beautifully. And I was, what I was really worried about actually was longevity. By having two batteries versus one, you have a, a bigger gas tank, so to say. And so I decided I'd carry this for a couple months so I could make an intelligent you know, statement about it. I get about a month. I get about a month of using it almost every day. In fact, using it every day. Because every night when I go put the birds to bed, uh, it's dark out, so I take my light out and I go put the birds to bed. And I use it frequently throughout the day. You look for something on the floor, you can't see in something. There's all types of things we use lights for if you actually have them. Um, And in, in carrying it, again, for uh, almost three months now, I've just found it more pleasant to carry. So there's nothing wrong with the old one, but 17 bucks. this thing is the bomb. And you guys know a lot of the, the manufacturers make lights that use like the, the specialty batteries and also they can be brighter. I don't like that. I like standardization because I have tons of AA and AAA batteries, and I have tons of rechargeable AA's and AAA's. Now, in my lights, I always use alkaline batteries. I don't use rechargeables and an EDC light. I want to know it's there, and so what I've gotten to now is as soon as I notice any dimness to it, I just replace the, the, the battery. And again, that's about a month of, of use. Um, but I don't like using specialty batteries because... By standardizing, you know what you need to keep in stock, and it works for more than one thing. So I know some of you guys like the CR123s and stuff like that. If you do, that's fine. Olight makes a really great light that uses them, but I prefer standardization, and standardization works really good as a prepper. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to thank you again for tuning in today. Please share the Survival Podcast with your friends and family. I know it's not for everybody, but if you think somebody might enjoy it, let them know about it. Uh, let them know there might be an adult word or two from time to time so they don't get their ass up in a knot over it or something like that. But I think we do a lot of good on informing people and getting people prepared, motivating people to start businesses, take care of their kids a little bit differently, and not believe the BS that the government's putting out along with the mainstream media on a daily basis. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out? Just run you around 
you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution.